I'm in the crew internship, and I've grown so much being in it. Like, I see the word in a whole different light. And I've done, you know, different discipleships, but, like, this really just really pierced my heart. And I oh, my gosh, it's just amazing. I love it. Um, I encourage anybody to do it. Um, it's just really awesome. You see different ways things are taught, and you see how, like, the whole bloodline, how everything comes together, and it's just amazing from how from the Old Testament to the New, everything links and, you know, some things you may be like, oh, I know that. And then you go and you do the internship and you, like, see things you never knew. So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I'm, like, excited now. I was nervous. So I'm going to be preaching on Psalms 119, and it's not the whole entire ver- or the whole entire chapter. It's the Lord showed me verses 1 through 38. And so I just wanted to express what this psalm, um, what the whole thing is about. But this psalm expresses a majestic love for the word of God. It deals with the word as promise, commandment, guide, testimony, wisdom, truth, righteousness, and reproof. And then so is every scripture, because in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says, Every scripture is God-breathed, given by his inspiration and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline and obedience, and for training and righteousness and holy living and conformity to God's will and thought, purpose, and action, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I dug deep with this, and I got real excited. So um, the Lord showed me, like, parts from verses 138, from, like, the outcome of what happens when you follow his word. And so the whole thing of Psalms 119 is talking about um, keepers of the law. And so from verses 1 to 3, blessed, happy, fortunate to be invited are the undefiled, the upright, truly sincere, and blameless in the way of the revealed will of God, who walk, order their conduct and conversation in the law of the Lord, the whole of God's revealed will. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be invited are they who keep his testimonies and who seek, inquire for, and of him, and crave him with the whole heart. Yes, they do no unrighteousness, no willful wandering from his precepts. They walk in his ways. And so when we follow his ways, we're blessed. And then some people usually think, oh, that means I get everything I want. Oh, okay, I'm blessed, so I could do this, I do that. No, when you follow his will, he blesses you through that, through that process. And so God promises to pour out his blessing on those who have chosen to live by his word, with all its standards and directives. His word is their guide and guides the course of their lives. And so when I was going through verse 3, yes, they do know unrighteousness, no willful wandering from his precepts, they walk in his ways. His ways are contrary to humanistic wisdom and values. So oftentimes we'll be thinking we're in God's will because it looks good, but you need to really ask the Lord to reveal this. Is this your will? Is this your way? Guide my steps. The Holy Spirit will reveal things to you if it's his will. And so, um, no one born, begotten of God, deliberately, knownly, and habitually practices sin, for God's nature abides in him. His principle of life, the divine sperm, remains permanently within him, and he cannot practice sinning because he is born, begotten of God. That's 1 John 3, 9. 1 John 5:18. We know absolutely that anyone born of God does not deliberately and knowingly practice committing sin, but the one who was begotten of God carefully watches over and protects him. 
Christ's divine presence within him preserves him against the evil, and the wicked one does not lay hold, get a grip on him, or touch him. And so, I was going through this, and I was asking the Lord, I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? Because I don't want anything of myself. I don't want it to say what Cherish wants. I want it to say what the Lord wants. And as I was praying, because I was going to do Psalms 25, and I was like, okay, I like wisdom. I like preaching about wisdom. And then the Lord directed me to do this. And so I was like, okay, God, what is it you want to say out of Psalms 119? And then he said, I have called you. Separate yourselves from unbelievers. I was like, okay. So I went to the word, and I looked up the scripture that says that we are to separate ourselves from unbelievers. And that is, that ain't written down. Okay, let's see. Anyways, um, I did research on it and of saying that God does not want us to even think like unbelievers. Like, okay, there's the unbelieving, those that are, you know, contrary to God's will. And then us Christians could think like an unbeliever. We could have doubt. We could get bitter. And so he wants no unclean thing named among us. And so in verse 4, he says, You have commanded us to keep your precepts that we should observe them diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed and established to observe your statutes, hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying them. Statutes, God's statutes consist of regulations for his people individually and collectively. Then shall I not be put to shame by failing to inherit your promises when I have respect to all your commandments. I will praise and give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn by sanctified experiences your righteous judgments, your decisions against, and punishments for particular lines of thought and con- conduct. And so I was really reading this over. I read it about pretty good 20 times, just the scripture over and over and over. And then I started weeping when I saw the part it says, every time it said statutes, it says if you look through the, from verses 1 to 38, he constantly talks about his statutes, and he says it in different ways. In verse 5, he says to observe your statutes. Verse 8, he says, I will keep your statutes. And as you go on, he gives us different or, or different um, direction of his statutes. And so from verse 5, oh, that my ways were directed and established to observe your statutes, hearing, receiving, loving, obeying them. And we go down to verse 8. I'll keep your statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. And I was reading this, and I was like, okay, God, what does that mean? Oh, forsake me not utterly. And we need to come to the point where it's like we do not want to do anything outside of God's will. We want to be completely forward into what he's wanting us to do. And we need to have that conscious in us because sometimes we get hot-headed. Oh, yeah, I serve God, yeah. And then we forget, God, don't forsake me. Don't leave me. I, I can't do this by myself. And so we go down to verse 9. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed and keeping watch on himself according to your word, conforming his life to it. With my whole heart have I sought you, inquiring for and of you, and yearning for you. Oh, let me not wonder or step aside either in ignorance or willfully from your commandments. Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Okay, so we observe his statutes, hearing, receiving, loving, obeying them. Then we go down and we keep his statutes. From keeping his statutes, we come to him and we're like, teach me your statutes. My, my lips have I declared and recounted all the ordinance of your mouth. Because 
the Lord is teaching him his statutes, he could pour out into other people what he has seen, what the Lord has taught him. And so we're, everything we do is not of ourselves. We have to constantly go to God and tell him to teach us. And then what he tells us to do, we pour out on other people. It's none of ourselves. And sometimes we get hot-headed and think it's us, what we discover, but it's really the Holy Spirit showing us, which I'm sure everybody knows that. And then I rejoice in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and have respect to your ways, the paths of life marked out by your law. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live, and I'll observe your word, hearing, receiving, loving, and obeying it. And then from verse 18, this is the part where we need to come to that point where it's because sometimes we see God's word and we like to pick things out. And then we see here, he says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And David, he's the one who wrote this. He was a man after God's own heart. So he knew the word, but he wanted more. And so we need to, we need to be like that. Even though, you know, some people may be three years in God, 10 years in God, 15 years all the way up. We need to still come to that point of surrendering, like, teach me, I want to know more. And so he says, 19, I am a stranger and a temporary resident on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My heart is breaking with the longing that it has for your ordinances and judgments at all times. And so, I think I'm saying this a lot, but we do need to come to that point where we are just crying out to God and on our face and like, I want to know. I want to know how you do it. What's your way? I don't want to do anything outside your will. I observed your statutes. I've kept your statutes. Teach me your statutes, and then I will delight myself in your statutes. Sometimes we don't like what God says, but we need to, even though we may not like it, delight ourselves in his statutes because we love him. And when we see all the things that he's lined up for us and we lay his word up in our heart, Nothing else will matter because we're doing it out of obedience. And when you obey someone, you, you know, you love them regardless if you agree with it or not. And so we need to come to the part where our heart breaks with the longing that it has, you know, for his word. And so verse 21, so we know who are the blessed. The blessed are those that follow the word, and they are the ones who are the undefiled. They do no unrighteousness. So what about the other ones? The, he rebukes the proud and the, arrog the arrogant, the accursed ones who err and wander from his commandments. Then we come to that point, take away from me reproach and content, for I keep your testimonies. We keep his truths. We keep everything that he says. So we need to not even have that named among us. Then he says in verse 23, princes also sat and talked against me, but your servant meditated on your statutes. Then I did research on this, and it said that David testified that he has suffered much scorn and contempt and slander as he attempted to live a righteous life in accordance with God's word. This opposition, however, did not deter him from following God's way. Today, those who are faithful to Christ and his word must also expect to be criticized and ridiculed. They may be called legalists and extremists by those who conform to the worldly ways of an ungodly um, society. And so, regardless of what people say, or what even family may say, because, you know, I have that a lot. Regardless of what people say, you follow God's word. Regardless of what the world says or what Aunt Susie says, you follow what God says. 
And so your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. My earthly life cleaves to the dust. Revive and stimulate me according to your word. And I did research on this verse, and I was like, okay, what does that mean? Because it was saying that David, you know, okay, even though someone may live a godly life, we all sometimes, you know, slip up and we sin. And so he said, my earthly life cleaves to the dust. Revive me and stimulate me according to your word. The moment we fall down, we get right back up, regardless of what we did because of his word, he is truthful to his word, we get right back up and we tell him to revive us and stimulate us. Then I have declared my ways and opened my griefs to you and you listen to me. Teach me your statutes. And for this, this part, I felt the Lord was showing me that when we come to the point of surrendering, because it's his way is greater than our ways, and so we finally just say, okay, Lord, it's your way. It's not my way. It's not my mom's way. It's not my dad's way. It's what you want me to do in my life. And so you declare his ways and you open your griefs. So you just lay it all out, what you're feeling, and he will listen. And then you come to, you just lay it all out. Just like you leave everything, you cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. And then you tell him, what is your will? What is it you want me to do? Which way should I go? Should I go this way or should I go that way? Whatever he's wanting to do, that's what we do. Then we come to this point where we ask the Holy Spirit for his help. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on and talk of your wondrous works. So sometimes we go through the word and we're like, okay, let's see. I don't know that. I don't know that. We ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what is it you're wanting me to say? Because you will see something in the word and then you may not know that someone needs that. And they never knew that. So the Holy Spirit will show you the mysteries of the word and will dig out from the deep of the word what is it you need to say. 28, my life dissolves and weeps itself away for heaviness. Raise me up and strengthen me according to the promises of your word. Remove from me the way of falsehood and unfaithfulness to you and graciously impart your law to me. I have chosen the way of truth and faithfulness. Your ordinances have I set before me. And as I was reading through all this, I just see, that's, I think that's why the Lord really you know, caused that to just draw upon me that he's just crying out. And it's like at that point where you're just screaming, like not literally screaming, but from your soul, you're just like, remove from me the falsehood and faithfulness to you and graciously impart your law to me. I have chosen the way of truth and faithfulness. Your ordinances have I set before me. Then it says, verse 31, I cleave to your testimonies, O Lord. Put me not to shame. And so we're just, we need to come to that point of surrender and separate ourselves from that, mentality of the carnal mind and you know the the doubting and the um what is it basically anything that's like outside of what he would do and just walk in his ways in every single part whether you want to or not because sometimes we don't want to and then that's when we come to the point okay lord teach me because i don't want to do this teach me how to love my neighbor teach me how to walk in your ways even when I feel like, you know, I don't want to. And this part, verse 32, is what really struck me when he said, I'll not merely walk, but run the way of your commandments when you give me a heart that is willing. And I was in prayer, and I was like, okay, Lord, I want to know, you know, deeper for this, what you're wanting to say. And he had revealed to me, he said, when you walk, when you're walking, you can easily look to the right, or to the left. Okay, you're going for a walk, and you say, okay, yeah, that's a nice, that's a tree, I like that, and you go to the right, okay, oh, yeah, I like that car, yeah, that's nice. Okay, but when you're running, say, as a race, 
when you run, you're focused and you're determined. Nothing to your right will bother you. Nothing to your left will bother you. And then I was doing research today, and I went to, ver- or to, Rome, or to Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. And then, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw away aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily, def- definitely, and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief, and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne. So from, well, let me finish reading these. So he says in thir- verse 34, Give me understanding that I may keep your law. Yes, I'll observe with my whole heart. Make me go in the path of your commandments, for in them do I delight. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to covetousness, robbery, sensuality, unworthy riches. Turn away my eye from beholding vanity, idols, and idolatry, and restore me to vigorous life and health in your ways. Establish your word, and, conform, and confirm your promise to your servant, which is for those who reverently fear and devotely worship you. So, because what God is saying in this, that we are to be keepers of the law, we need to keep everything that he says, and whether or not we want to do it or not, because he said to do it, and because we are called to do that, he has called us to separate ourselves from unbelievers, we are to reach the world, and if we are not reading the word, or if we're not building ourselves up and asking him to teach us, how are we going to show a lost world the ways of God? We're doing it out of our flesh. And so we need to come to that point where we're meditating on his statutes, where we are keeping them, we're delighting ourselves in them, we're building ourselves up in them so we can overflow and pour it out among many. And sometimes people, you know, they want to do it, you know, okay, I want half, and then I want this half. But we need to get the whole picture of God, whether we like it or not, and we just need to be faithful to that, and we need to tell him that to teach us the way of statutes, and we'll keep it to the end, because we're running a course. We're trying to run the course and keep the course, and if we're not building ourselves up in his way, we won't finish. And so we will not merely walk, but we will run the way of the commandments because he is giving us a heart that is willing. When Pastor first told us we were going to be speaking on a Wednesday night, immediately the Lord dropped the verse Isaiah 45, 5 in my spirit. And in the Amplified it reads, verse 6, 45, 6, that men may know from the east and the rising of the sun and from the west and the setting of the sun that there is no God besides me. I am the Lord, and no one else is he. And in Psalms 46.10 in the Amplified, it reads, Let be and be still, and know, recognize, and understand that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. The word from the Lord tonight is trust, and Webster's definition is um, to believe that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, effective, etc. To have confidence in someone or something, 
to believe that something is true or correct, and to hope or expect that something is true or will happen. Psalm 62, 8 reads, Trust in, lean on, rely on, and have confidence in him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us, a fortress and a high tower. Selah, pause, and calmly think of that. Psalms 125.1 says, Those who trust in, lean on, and confidently hope in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides and stands fast forever. The Lord's not saying tonight, do you trust me? But the Lord is asking tonight, will you trust me? To say to the Lord, not our own plan, but his plan for our life. The plan that the Lord takes you on and allows may be uncomfortable at times, but it will lead you to where he wants you to be in him for yourself and the lives of others. For us to do the opposite of how we feel and obey what his word says. Not to let bitterness or resentment or anger come in and take root. Forgive someone who's wronged you. Love the unlovely, unsaved strangers, loved ones, a spouse, co-workers, etc., Allow him to process us in the areas of disciplining, changing, and breaking us. Get us out of our comfort zones. As we are brought through difficult situations, it's in these times that we learn to trust the Lord, and it causes us to grow in him. An example in my own life, um, what do you do when a situation or circumstance in your life arises? You wish you can control it, but you can't. In my own life, it was when my son served time in prison. My son has served time in prison not once, but twice, and is now facing his third time. Last week, he was just sentenced to serve another 16-month term. As a mother, you want to shelter and protect your children. But what do you do when your adult child is in a place you can't shelter or protect them? When my son went to prison... I had to learn to trust the Lord. Him being hundreds of miles away, not knowing what was happening to him. And this is where I grew a lot in my walk and trust in the Lord. I learned to intercede for my son and trust the Lord at his word. When his life, excuse me, with his life, and when the voices would come in with their harsh negative lies, I would push away those voices and lies and say, no, I choose to trust what God says in his word. When we go through things in life, it's not just for ourselves, but for others too. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of sympathy, pity, and mercy, and the God who is the source of every comfort, consolation, and encouragement, who comforts, consoles, and encourages us in every trouble, calamity, and affliction so that we may be able to comfort and console and encourage those who are in any kind of trouble or distress with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Will you trust him to be offered as a sacrifice for him? Psalms 51.10 reads, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right, persevering, and steadfast spirit within me. It's important for us to be emptied out of ourselves by letting go of our control and ways, Excuse me, and in turn surrender to the Lord for him to have his will and way in us, our lives, and situations. Being poured out is an act of your will and not your emotions. 
Once you've experienced the crisis in your own will, you will take no thought of the cost when it begins to affect you externally. <clears throat> if you don't deal with the Lord on the level of your will first, the result will only be to arouse sympathy for yourself. You must be willing to be placed on the altar and go through the fire, willing to experience what the altar represents, burning, purification, and separation for only one purpose, the elimination of every desire and affection not grounded in or directed toward the Lord. <coughs> but you don't eliminate it. Jesus does. In Psalms 118.27, it reads, Bind the sacrifices to be offered with thick cords to the horns of the altar. <clears throat> in the past, the sacrifice had to be bound to the altar. It was an unwilling sacrifice. <clears throat> but we as believers are to be a willing, living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. The Strong's definition of a living sacrifice <clears throat> reads as an, it is an offering. Jesus is a gentleman, and he will not force himself on you. We have a free will, and we must choose to allow him to bring change in us. You'll realize after you've gone through the fire, and you're once again in a difficult situation, it cannot touch you as it uses to. Your will has now been changed to do his will, to be used as his vessels, emptied out of ourselves and filled up with him. You find you don't complain about the situations anymore, but instead embrace them, all for him, to do his will for your life and others and, the, and their lives around you. This is true freedom. I want to read a, a part of um, a description of Jesus. It's from Anne Graham Lotz. I can't read the whole thing. It's very long, but... This part <clears throat> was good. He makes change possible. He makes happiness attainable. He makes resources ample and suffering understandable. He makes sin forgivable and heaven available. He makes God visible. His life is matchless and his goodness is limitless. <coughs> his mercy is enough and his grace sufficient. His reign is righteous, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they couldn't stop him. Satan tried to tempt him, but he couldn't trip him. Pilate examined him on trial, but found he couldn't fault him. The Romans crucified him, but found they couldn't take his life. <coughs> Excuse me. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. He had no predecessor, and he will have no successor. He is a lion, and he is a lamb. He is God, and he is man. He is the seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews, that's a racial king. The king of Israel, that's a national king. The king of righteousness, that's a moral king. He is the king of the ages, that's an eternal king. The king of heaven, that's a universal king. The king of glory, that's a celestial king. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Again, the Lord is asking tonight, will you trust me? <clears throat> 